Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We ask that you would take a moment and reflect on the context in which this message was given. We are a new church serving in neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Here we are seeking to practice the way of Jesus together, joining God in His renewing work. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We are not perfect people, and we do not have all of the answers. We believe these teachings are formational to our lives as we seek to become more like Christ and love people in these neighborhoods. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. Our journeying through life, and our thought would be, let's just start this year with the prayer of Solomon, really, that God would, would uh, give us wisdom and uh, understanding uh, as we travel through life. And so we've been looking at Solomon, or at Solomon at Proverbs, and, uh, and one of the things that we've been picking up on is that throughout Proverbs, there are these uh, destructive rhythms in life that Proverbs speaks out against. And so the first week, we talked about uh, lying and honesty and how Proverbs calls us uh, to live a life of honesty. And then we talked about uh, how we use our words uh, and how, how gossip can be this destructive force in our life and how wisdom's call to us is uh, to, 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 not, to not gossip, uh, to not allow uh, uh, any kind of, uh, of tension or dissension or, or things to spiral out of control because we're, uh, we're throwing fuel on the fire of whatever that could be. Last week, uh, Tom uh, talked about anger and how anger is something uh, that in our life could be uh, very dangerous. And we talked about how uh, it could lead to destructive choices and how there is holy anger, uh, but how we deal with our anger requires wisdom. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about the topic of of lust. And uh, just to to throw that out as a disclaimer, this, even though that is the topic today, the the sermon is rated G. And so uh, I think when we talk about this this thing in our life, it, it can be uh, a, a destructive force, and there's some, it's something that the church needs to speak into, and there's a time when you, we need to go deeper with that and look at, honestly, what, how does lust affect us, and, and there will be a time for that here, uh, but that's not today. Today, I just kind of want to lay a framework around this idea of lust, and so it is a rated G uh, sermon, just to let you know, there's not going to be anything um, that I wouldn't speak in front of uh, my eight-year-old daughter, um, but it is something we need to look at because it is a big deal uh, in Proverbs, and uh, it's, it's something that can be destructive in our lives. And I want to open uh, by reading uh, this apology. And this apology uh, came about five years ago, and it was from a very public figure, and it rocked, kind of rocked the world. And uh, as the Phoenix Open comes up, uh, this is an apology from Tiger Woods. He says, many of you in the room are my friends. Many of you in this room know me, and many of you have cheered for me or worked with me or supported me, and now every one of you has good reason to be critical of me. I want to say to each of you, simply and directly, I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. I know my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply. I never thought about who I was hurting. Instead, I thought about myself. I ran straight through the boundaries that a married couple should live by, and I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to. I felt like I had worked hard my entire life, 
and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. Thanks to money and fame, I didn't have far, didn't have far to go to find them. I was wrong. I was foolish. I don't get to play by different rules. The same boundaries that apply to everyone apply to me. And I brought this shame on myself. I hurt my wife, my kids, my mother, my wife's family, my friends, my foundation, kids all around the world who admired me. I've had a lot of time to think about what I've done, and my failures have made me look at myself in a way I've never wanted to before. And now it's uh, up to me to make amends. I thought that was interesting as we, we heard that, and to have such a public figure, all of his mistakes on display for the whole world. And we have this figure who's probably the most successful athlete in history when it comes to how much he's made, how much he's marketed himself around the world. And the whole thing comes crashing down. And remember, it was, it was shocking. It was all over the news. Everyone knew about it. And his business was all of a sudden everybody else's business. And as he goes into the apology, he starts to use phrases that I think might have something for us. As he says, I didn't think that the rules applied to me. I felt entitled. I felt like I was living with a different set of standards because of who I am. And, I, and when we think about this, this topic of, of lust, when we think about the destructive forces uh, of lust in our life, I think a lot of times we, we start to kind of have that sense of entitlement when we walk down this path. So in Proverbs chapter 6, I want to read a uh, a verse, and there's all sorts of context around it, but it, it says this, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25, do not let, or do not lust in your heart. Do not lust in your heart. And there's a whole context and story around uh, that command, but do not lust in your heart. Lust uh, in Hebrew comes from this word, uh, it, it, it's, it looks like shamad, but it's really chamad, I can't really pronounce it, but this this uh, word that's used in Proverbs uh, is chamad, and it means a desire or a longing, and that's simply it, a desire or a longing. Proverbs 12.12, 12, it's interpreted as the wicked desire the plunder of evildoers. Sometimes it's translated as desire, and this is a word that when you, when you look at it, it seems harmless, right? Desire or longing. But doing a quick uh, word study on where else this word appears. The first place this, uh, this word, chamad, appears is in Genesis chapter 3. And I found it interesting as we talk about all of these different destructive forces in our life, they keep showing up in the creation story. And in Genesis chapter 3, as we've talked in weeks past, we have this story uh, that has unbelievable depth to it, and it's also a story that children can understand. You can veggie-tale uh, the story of Adam and Eve, right? In this story of, of Adam and Eve, uh, we know they, they're placed in the garden, they're placed in Eden, and they're given uh, this sacred task to be stewards of creation. And the whole garden is theirs, uh, but they're, they're given limits on one thing, the tree and the fruit, and they're told not to eat of the tree and the fruit. And God has placed this limit in their life to protect them. And what we know is that there's this conversation that takes place between uh, the deceiver and Eve, and Eve convinces, is convinced to take the fruit. I always joke that he tricked her into saying that the fruit was a tomato, and he convinced her that it was a vegetable, and it was, she thought it was okay. But that joke is never funny. Um, <clears throat> and I continue to go to it every time I tell the story. I don't know why. Um, 
But we, we know that Eve, Eve uh, takes the fruit. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took, and, uh, she took some and ate it. But this is interesting, that that, that word, that, that lust, that desire, the longing, shows up in the word desirable. It's the same word, that chamad. When she sees it, she sees that it's enticing for gaining wisdom. The first time this word that is later used as lust, the first time this word appears, uh, it, it appears in this story. There's a desire for something, an object. There's a desire for it. And what we know in the story is that the desire for that object, what the object promises, is false. It doesn't deliver on the promise. There's this, there's this lust uh, that doesn't deliver. And, and we know that that decision that is made with Adam and Eve has huge implications for the rest of the world, right? It's kind of a big deal. But it's also our story. We're faced with that every single day, uh, this this desire for something that doesn't deliver. This word shamad is uh, found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And if you know this passage, as uh, God's people uh, are establishing a covenant with him uh, at Sinai, God has, uh, using, he's using covenant language and he enters, the, the, God's people enter into this relationship with him and they're given this, this uh, list of commands. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. It's that same word, lust, desire, longing. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or make his male or female servant, his don- ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. This same idea of this chamad, lust after something, an object. And at this point, we're told uh, not to Lust after something that isn't ours. What we would find is that this definition of lust, looking at kind of these two stories, I would say that the definition of lust is the desire or longing for what is forbidden. The desire or longing for what is forbidden. We desire something that isn't rightfully ours. And, and here's the thing is God gives us desires and he gives us Longing, And those are things that are good things. That they remind us that we're alive, that we're created for something, that we're created to be passionate about. But when that becomes something uh, that, that we, we place uh, the desire for an object that isn't ours or that promises something that is false, we have this idea of lust. And lust has destructive ramifications. Frederick Buechner uh, great storytelling pastor, he said this about lust. Uh, lust is like the craving for salt by a man dying for thirst. So not only are you desiring something that is forbidden, but you're craving the wrong thing. And you have this craving and this longing in your soul because God wired us to have cravings and longings, but you're putting it in something that isn't really going to help. And it becomes destructive. The calamity of lust, why this thing can be so destructive in our lives. Desire, when unleashed and uncontrolled, becomes a lust that consumes the entire personality. It has this, uh, th- this way of consuming everything about who we are, the way that 
uh, we're wired, the habits that we place in life. This is a a long quote from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I want to read. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is this great theologian uh, back in the 1920s and 30s and 40s in in Nazi Germany. And and he uh, had just some unbelievable uh, writing that came from uh, him trying to follow Jesus in the context of Nazi Germany. And there's a great book out called Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas, if you ever want to read it. But he talks about this idea of lust. And he says, In our members, there is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. And all at once, smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money or finally that strange desire for the beauty of the world of nature. Joy in God is extinguished to us. Joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature or the object. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and the only desire is for the creature. Only the desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. And now his falsehood is added to the proof of strength. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and the will of man in deep darkness. The powers of clear discernment and of decision are taken away from us. And it is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. I thought that was a great quote when it comes to lust. It's this thing that consumes our entire personality. It's this this false thing that, that pulls us out of the truth of who God created us to be. And it just envelops us. Causes us to make unwise decisions. It messes with our judgment, discernment, clouds it. Lust has this way of destroying us because it makes us someone that we're not. The second calamity of lust is society caters to our nature and encourages us to lust after a wide variety of things. So even as we we say lust, we all kind of think about really one thing But really, lust, remember, it's this desire or longing for anything that is forbidden or harmful. So we might lust after power. We might lust for popularity. We might lust for prosperity. We might lust for pleasure. They all start with the letter P, because I'm a pastor, and it's easy to remember that. (laughs) But when you think about power and popularity and prosperity and pleasure, these are things that aren't evil in themselves. They aren't things that are destructive for us. In fact, those are great things to have in life and to be excited about. But when they're handled in a way uh, where lust enters, they rage out of control in our life. One of my favorite stories is Lord of the Rings. Uh, I I nerd for that kind of writing, so I've read Lord of the Rings a couple times in my life. Um, And I'm sure most people have seen uh, the movie um, but, but what is, what is the object of desire, right? It's the ring of power. One ring to rule them all. And we've got this really weird creature named uh, Gollum. Uh, he has, goes by other names as well. 
who, who has this ring, and he has this really screechy voice that uh, always makes me sick when I hear it. And, he, and he's got this precious, this ring, and it's, it's this object that easily corrupts. And, and when we look at these things that, that lust corrupts, power, popularity, prosperity, pleasure, those aren't bad things, but they're easily corruptible. And what lust does is it, it takes those longings and desires for things that God gives us, and it corrupts them in the same way. So lust isn't just something for pleasure. We lust after all sorts of different things in our lives that become destructive. Calamity of lust, the third thing is that lust indulges in self-gratification without regard for others. Indulges in self-gratification without regard for others. When we looked at the story in Exodus, the Ten Commandments, when we're told not to covet, one thing that uh, I've been learning about this story is that the, the commandments, it's, it's covenant language between us and God. But the covenant and the commands are given uh, not just for our, ourselves, not just for our relationship with God and our own salvation, but the Hebrews had this understanding that, that these laws that were given to them, this rule of life was for the common good of their community. And we look at the people of God, they're blessed uh, to be a blessing. And when they get this, uh, this, this list of what their, co- their side of the covenant, what that responsibility is, they don't see it as like this checklist of, I have to do X, Y, and Z, and then I'm good with God. But what they would say is that there's this responsibility for how I interact with my neighbor. And it's not just about my own personal rights, but it's about my responsibility of my community. And when I'm following this rule of life, when I am interacting and responsible for my community and my neighbor, our community flourishes. There's peace, there's shalom, there's, there's blessing that comes for them and for those around them. And Israel's called to be this light to the nations, this priestly nation. And when we think about uh, that command, do not covet, it's not just for ourselves, but it's my decisions affect people around me and lust indulges self-gratification without the regard for other people. When we think about our longings and our desires, are, are the decisions that we make for the common good of those around us? Or are they corrupted to something that harms relationships? And what we find is when, uh, when we indulge in self-gratification without regard for others, it destroys, it does destroy ourselves. It destroys our character, destroys who we are, destroys relationships whether that's friendships, whether it's marriage, destroys families, destroys careers, as we see with Tiger Woods. Lust isn't just about pleasure. It's indulging in self-gratification without the regard for other people. Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul's writing to this community of people who are seeking uh, to follow Jesus. And there's this call Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, to look not only towards your own self-interest, but also the interests of others. It says to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, uh, who gave up everything to give life to other people. When we talk about being a church community, this body of Christ, is our attitude the same as that of Christ, Christ Jesus? Where we look at how our decisions affect the world around us, and are we life-giving people to others around us? 
Are we willing to delay gratification if it harms others so that we can be life-giving? Lust, in a sense, is a very anti-Christ action. It's opposite of the way that Jesus walks the earth. So what is wisdom's call? We look at what is wisdom's call for whatever the destructive forces is. When it, when it comes to lust, I found this interesting in Proverbs chapter 1. And once again, there's a context to this passage, but let me just read through this. It says, and it's talking about uh, a young man who's, who's being enticed, and, and lust is this personification of, of a woman that's trying to entice him. But it says, my son, or, and yeah, I'll just read <laughs> My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pits. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. Because my son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. For their feet rush into evil, and they are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. I love those last two lines. These men that are lusting after this thing. It says, They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. That's what lust has a tendency to do, is we try to indulge in something that is gratifying ourselves. We really miss out, and we lose what God has for us. So some thoughts on Jesus and the church as we... As we close, and as Matt uh, comes back up here, and uh, we get ready to, to close, a couple of verses. Second Timothy two, verse twenty-two says, "Flee the evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart." Flee the desires of youth, pursue righteousness. Galatians five sixteen says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will gratify the desires of the flesh. That's interesting. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. A fruit of the Spirit, evidence of God in our life, self-control, self-control. We're told to flee from the things uh, that might be enticing but actually devour us. To focus first on this relationship with God and these deep longings and desires are met in God. And the evidence of God is self-control. Self-control. One of the things that we do here uh, at Desert City is uh, we end each week uh, in communion. Communion is... uh, a time of something sacred. Communion is our story. Some people might call it the elements or the Eucharist. Um, 
but it's the Lord's Supper. And as we end each week, we end with a response as we go to communion. Communion represents what God has done in this earth, on this earth through his son Jesus. And as we take bread, it represents God coming physically here and showing us what he's like. The bread represents his body. And our story is about this God who becomes flesh for us and then goes to the cross. And this body that was present here on earth gets broken open. And it gets broken open because it takes all of the brokenness of the world and the consequences of that brokenness and is absorbed on the cross. And then the body is broken, but then there's also this uh, juice that represents the blood of Christ, the blood of God that's poured out and it's shed. And as this body is broken open and as this blood is poured out, in that brokenness, uh, the world is put back together. And so we believe that when we come into relationship with God, when we enter into this story, all of the things in our life that are broken, all the things that have consequences that lead to destruction, destruction here and now and destruction eternally, are put back together and healed through this act of the cross. And so as we come to communion today, we remember what God has done for us in this world. And then we're reminded that as the church, we are the body of Christ. And we partake in this ongoing work of breaking ourselves open and pouring ourselves out to bring life and healing to a community. And so today as we approach communion around this topic of lust, I don't know where you're at, I don't know what uh, you're dealing with in life, but my guess is like me, you have longings for things that are forbidden. Today the invitation is to come to the cross with that brokenness and allow God to put it back together. And today we hope that as we, as we center our lives around Jesus, what we find is all the things that enslave our, our flesh, all the things that enslave our longings are set free. There's freedom in Christ. And not only is there freedom, but there's accountability in a community where we share life together and we help each other out with whatever those struggles are. And in that accountability, we also find healing for the things that are broken. It's a freedom, accountability, healing. Uh, God offers us, all of us. Today, if you have some things in your life that are enslaving you when it comes to this issue of lust and you just want someone to pray with, uh, we'll be in the back. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to just uh, surround you with, uh, with prayer. A lot of these things we, uh, we lust after, we, we keep hidden. We don't want other people to know. It's like a private matter. And if we want to get well, um, we have to trust each other. So there'll be prayer in the back if you'd like to just have someone pray with you. Um, that's available. But spend some time just reflecting. And as we, uh, we sing this song of what uh, this life that we have in Christ, and we move to communion, let's allow God to just bring healing and put our lives back together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, for uh, the book of Proverbs. Lord, that you love us so much that you would give us a guide to help us through life.
Lord, we, we just ask for, continually ask for wisdom. As we make decisions, as we interact with each other, as we journey through life, Lord, we just pray for your heavenly wisdom that would bring about flourishing for our community, for our city. Lord, we come to you today with the brokenness of, uh, of our humanity. We're reminded that this story of broken started very early on with Adam and Eve. And we make the same decisions all the time where we place a desire and longing in something that doesn't fulfill us. So Lord, we come to you We ask that you would meet us here. We ask that you would search our hearts, that you would stir inside of us, become wise, that you would set us free of anything that entangles or enslaves us by your power. We thank you for loving us and not giving up on us. Sons and we pray.